Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC news, facts, everything you could ever ask for when it comes to UFC and just fighting in general. I enjoy all sorts of fighting. I mean, boxing, wrestling, just MMA in general. And I, I never even did any combat sports as a kid. I think I got in some fights in elementary school. Other than that, I've been pretty docile. So very happy to uh, be with you today. We're going to be going over a number of things, including making my official UFC Nashville main card picks. That's right. The fight card this Saturday is in Nashville, Tennessee. Corey Sanhagen versus Ron Font at a catch weight of 140, but it'll have bantamweight um obviously this will affect the bantamweight rankings and standings as it's only a five pound catch weight we'll also we're also going to be going over jake paul versus nate diaz that card i just found out that it was going on this week i there's been terrible marketing i know nate diaz hasn't been doing any marketing for it but jake paul has not done a good job i was watching some of the press conference today i've seen some highlights And man, it is a cluster you-know-what. It is bad. So we'll be talking about that. We're also going to be ranking my top 10 TV shows. All right, I compiled a little list of my top 10 TV shows. Um, We're going to be going over the most recent episode of The Ultimate Fighter, episode 10. And of course, going over all sorts of other activities on the podcast. Hope everyone's having a good day. But to just put this out there It is currently Thursday, August the 3rd, as I'm recording this. So any changes to the card uh, will just have to make my prelim picks, my official picks. Because if no one knows, I only count my main card as my things I actually keep track of. But other than that, I'm ready to dive into the episode. We're actually going to start off with The Ultimate Fighter. So The Ultimate Fighter episode 10 went down this past Tuesday. Brad Katona beat Tamor Valev by split decision. It was a bloody fight. They gave it their all. Dana was very happy. Conor McGregor was happy. His boy um, got the win because Brad Katona trains with McGregor and uh, Kavanaugh, his coach, McGregor's head coach, and was never really a team Chandler guy. So I know he was happy to be back in the uh, blue for McGregor. And he'll be taking on the winner of, gosh, who is it? It's Rico... And who's Rico fighting? I can't even recall. I mean, honestly, this as this as good as the season this has been, it's also been low-key forgettable. I mean, I think the Vulcan Ortega season's probably been one of the better seasons I've watched. But this season's certainly better than the last season. Um, but Brad Katona, he could be the potential first two-time Ultimate Fighter winner looking to get back to UFC. Tough loss for Tamor. I know Islam Makachev, the lightweight champion, visited him during the training camp for... His fight, and sadly, he lost. But you know, I I do not doubt Tamorvalev can make his way back to the UFC because he's so talented. He's such a good grappler. He's good striking. I mean, he's throwing some nasty body kicks. It had me wincing. But hey, that's just how it goes. Uh, we'll be back next week. Jason Knight and Kurt Hallball will battle for the lightweight spot. Going to be very entertaining. There now that I'm thinking about it, I believe it's Cody Gibson versus Rico Decilio or whatever. I think that's who it was. I didn't even look that up. I just It came to my mind. So I was trying to think Cody Gibson won, but he hasn't fought. So We'll see who fights those two. There's only two more episodes left of The Ultimate Fighter. 
And then I believe, actually, I believe it's next Tuesday, Dana West Contender Series kicks up. So maybe we'll have to cover that. Who knows? It's it's tough because all those guys are up and comers. But this was uh, one of the better episodes, certainly one of the better fights. And I'm honestly excited for it to come to an end and actually see these guys fight to see who's the best. Because obviously the whole goal is to win the Ultimate Fighter, get a UFC contract. And become champion. I mean, Mohamed Usman, he's picked up two wins, I believe, in the UFC. Or maybe just one. He's also... Uh, who, who else has won? Gosh, see, now I have trouble remembering. I know Brian Battle won. Brian Battle's pretty successful. He actually just got a fight booked against someone who I can't recall. Was it AJ? I think he got a fight booked against AJ Fletcher for September or something. That should be very entertaining, but... Nonetheless, that's the Ultimate Fighter, episode 10 recap. I mean, there's not much to say. I mean, they just train, they talk to their families on the phone, and then the fight's the last 30 minutes of the show. So that's all there is. But speaking of a show, wow, Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz has been quite something to see. I don't know what to make of it. I just found out it's on Dazane, Dazane, D-A-Z-N, pay-per-view. You can buy it for $59.99. Wow. Wow, it's cheaper than UFC pay-per-views, but I am not paying for this. So, here's the official card you would be paying for. This is from someone who doesn't watch boxing at all, so I'll let you know if I know who these people are. Chris Avila versus Jeremy Stevens in a super middleweight boxing match. Now, Chris Avila rings a bell, I think he fought in the UFC, but Jeremy Stevens was a notable UFC fighter in lightweight and featherweight divisions. He, I mean, he fought Yair. He kind of ended on a rough streak. He got knocked out by Calvin Cater at UFC 249. I know he lost to Matus Gamrot. I think he got finished by someone else. I can't even remember, but very, uh, very forgettable end to Jeremy Stevens' UFC career. I think he has the most losses in UFC history, actually. But uh, good luck to him. I know he fought Jose Aldo in a boxing match not too long ago and lost, but he thought he won. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy Stevens back in action. I don't really know what to make of his return. I could, I could care less, honestly, but good for him. Uh, then we have a welterweight boxing match between Alan Sanchez and Angel Beltran Vila. Upon hearing those names, I obviously got to go with Angel Beltran Vila. He sounds like an Italian boxer or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stereotyping off the names, but that's a matchup. And, I mean, Alan spells his name A-L-A-N. I thought there's supposed to be two L's. So that's that's why I'm picking Angel. Um, next up is the lightweights. First off, these weights are different than the UFC, so I don't actually know what they are. Like, Jeremy Stevens is fighting as super middleweight. So, like, in UFC terms, that would probably be, like, 190 pounds. But he was fighting at 155 during his UFC career. So, hey, maybe he blew up. But um, next up we have... Ashton Silva and William Silva. By the way, I'm I don't even have the pictures of these people pulled up. I'm just reading their names. And we're gonna read the odds for the because they only have the odds on this. On I'm on CBS Sports, their boxing page. They only have the odds for the main event and the co-main event. Which they don't even call the co-main event. They just call the main event and then the main card. Which is why I like UFC terminology better. But uh, Ashton Silva or William Silva, I like William Silva because Ashton Silva sounds like a kind of weird name. So there's that. Then we have women's super middleweights. So w- what's that supposed to be? 155 for women? I don't even know. Shadassia Green versus Olivia Curry. All right, so we have Stephen Curry's cousin. Not actually. Taking on Shadashia Green. Obviously, I go with Shadashia. I mean, she sounds like she whacks 
spook people around. I'm obviously going to rock with Shadisha for that. But here we go. Amanda Serrano, who's the current undisputed featherweight women's champion, will be taking on defending her belt, actually, against Heather Hardy. I actually saw the Serrano sisters, or whatever, signed with the PFL, their pay-per-view division. The, uh, the pay-per-view division of the PFL, which includes... Francis Ngannou and Jake Paul, who are yet to fight in the PFL. The PFL's been kind of lacking. I mean, every single UFC fighter that's gone over there has kind of sucked. Actually, I think Rob Wilkinson was in the UFC, so I take that back. But we'll see how Francis Ngannou does. And obviously, Jake Paul is Jake Paul. But Amanda Serrano is a minus 1,500 favorite. Heather Hardy, plus 850. So let me tell you all something. You would have to bet $1,500 on Amanda Serrano to make $100. And if you bet $100 on Heather Hardy, you would win $850. That's how odds work, if no one knows. So basically, it's all based off of $100. Obviously, I got to pick Amanda Serrano. I mean, she's this is one of the craziest craziest favorites I've ever seen. Minus $1,500. That is insane. But uh, if you want to sprinkle a little money on Heather Hardy, you could win almost $1,000. And if you bet, I think $150, you will win $200, uh, I mean $1,000. If you bet $200, I mean, you're going to win like $1,700,000. Super crazy. But we're all, we only care about the main event, Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz. Jake Paul is currently the favorite at minus 400. Nate Diaz, an underdog at plus 310. This is happening at a catch weight of 180 pounds. So, I mean, Nate Diaz, he fought at 155 and 170. So, I mean, he was cutting weight in the UFC. Probably didn't cut much weight here. And as for Jake Paul, I have no idea what Jake Paul walks around there. But 180 for, like, a guy that's in fit condition does not seem unlikely to me. Obviously, I'm rocking with Nate Diaz because I'm not a really big Jake Paul fan. And Nate Stockton, I mean, 209. I mean, who doesn't love Nate Diaz? But I don't think Nate's going to win. I mean, Jake Paul's finished Ben Askren. He's finished... Tyron Woodley, and he lost to Tommy Fury his last time out, I believe, by split decision. I guess that was an actual boxer, but the thing with Nate is is I don't think he's going to get finished by Jake Paul, but I just think he's just going to eat punches over and over, just egg him on. And plus, he can't shoot. And mind you, he won his last fight in the UFC in uh, September at UFC 279 by submitting Tony Ferguson. So sadly, I will, I do not think Nate Diaz is going to win. I will have to pick Jake Paul, but I'll be rooting for Nate. Actually, screw it. I'm not picking Jake Paul. I'm picking Nate Diaz. I don't. I have no stake in this, so I'm going to rock with the plus 310 Nate Diaz. I'm going to hypothetically put $100 to win $310. And that's the boxing card. Very goofy. I mean, the press conference is so unprofessional. That Derek guy from Better, B-E-T-R, like Jake Paul's betting site or what, a podcast show. I don't know what it is. I don't know. He just likes to egg people on, and he's pretty good at it. But, I mean, he was riling up Nate Diaz. Uh, it's just such a joke. I don't know why they do it. I mean, Jake Paul's a big brand name. Nate Diaz is. But it just kind of makes Dezayan look bad. But that's just my opinion. So take it with a grain of salt. But I feel like a majority of people kind of agree that it is a, it is a bit silly. It is a bit silly. Speaking of social media and stuff, Buzzsprout actually responded to me on Twitter. That's right, Buzzsprout, the site I used to upload my podcasts, get on directories and stuff, pay pay to upload. Uh, they responded on Twitter since I uploaded my 10th episode and I tweeted something. So very happy they responded. They're not the most famous person to respond. I know 
I know Brett Okamoto has responded to one of my tweets, and Colby Covington has liked one of my tweets. Which, I mean, it's Twitter, so I mean, that's super easy to do. But still, super impressive. I like that. And I don't really tweet too much on Twitter. I'm really, I really just post on Instagram about the podcast. So let me know if y'all want to follow me on any of those things or what's, uh, what um, social media app I should use the most. I'm not on uh, threads. I, I have no idea what that is. I just see numbers in people's bios and it kind of turns me off if you want to phrase it like that. It's, it's very odd. Uh, but hey, whatever big app comes along always, always seems to catch people's attention. Speaking of catching attention, I got a notification about some more ESPN questions. We answered these a couple episodes ago, so I'm going to answer them. They're, they're all UFC-related. They have the experts answer them. But how about you just have a normal fan like me, not a casual fan, a legit fan like me, answer these questions for you? So let's begin. Dustin Poirier was on the brink of another title shot. Where does he go from here? So this is an excellent question. Dustin's definitely at a crossroads career-wise. Personally, I feel a Colby Covington fight has always been there at 170. I just feel Dustin's been ducking it because he wants no part of getting out grappled. So if it's not Colby Covington, Dustin Poirier is currently sitting at the number three spot in the lightweight rankings. Without a doubt, I could see him fighting Armin Tezukrian, the winner of Fazeev and Gamrot. I mean... Da- rematch with Dan Hooker, dare I say? Something in the division. If not, Nate Diaz expressed wanting to come back to the UFC. You could do him versus Poirier. You could obviously do Poirier versus McGregor 4. But Dustin, it wouldn't hurt for him to retire. It's It's been an excellent career. He's made a lot of money. But after this loss to Gaethje, he has now only won the interim belt against Max Holloway in 2019. And other than winning an interim belt... Which an interim belt for any casual fans literally just means, and I use the word literally in just a comical sense, alludes to that you're the number one contender. That's that's all it means. Nothing special about it whatsoever. So that's Dustin's biggest accomplishment. I mean, he's main evented some pay-per-views, gotten a lot of fans, created his own hot sauce brand. At the end of the day, he's not going to become champion. Was he 0 for 2? He lost to Habib and to Oliveira, I believe he's 0-2. If I'm not believing me, I believe I'm right. Sad to say. Or we could do Poirier versus Ferguson, so Ferguson gets knocked out again. How about that? That'll never happen. Um, next up. If MMA's light heavyweight division is fully healthy, Alex Pajera is the blank best at 205 pounds. Excellent question, Alex Pajera. Now ranked number three after a split decision win over Sean Blovich. Look, I was biased against Jan. I obviously thought that Pereira fought back after round one and his striking won him the last two rounds. I mean, even though Jan landed a takedown, he did nothing with them. Besides in round one, he did nothing in round two or three to warrant him winning those rounds. Pereira looked super improved, looked very good at this weight. The grappling, I think he may run to issues with against Magomed Ankalaev. Maybe Alexander Rockich, dare if they ever encounter them. But Jamal Hill, Jerry Prohaska will not offer him those issues. They will want to stand with him. So I'll say Jerry Prochaska beats Alex Barra and Magomed. So quite quite honestly, 
the number one, number two guys are better than the number three guy. But I do think Pejera beats Jamal Hill because of like the kickboxing. So I do favor Jamal. I do favor Alex Pejera over Jamal Hill. But he's proven he's better than Jan Blachowicz. And if Jan beat Rakic, that should tell you Pejera could beat Rakic. That tells you he could beat Nikita Kreloff, Johnny Walker, Anthony Smith. So truly, I do believe he, him, him being the number three contender, he is the number three best light heavyweight in the division. In the world, I can't really say. But certainly, if he does end up fighting Jerry Prochaska, that'll be a very interesting fight. But I cannot wait for that. I, I just don't even know when that could be. January? December? February? I love Jerry Prochaska. I hope he returns. If he fights Behera, that could be a very tough fight for both of them. But yeah, Behera, the number three best at 205. So perfectly ranked. Not much to say there. Next up, which division in MMA is the biggest moneymaker? Obviously, this will be alluded to UFC. So we could go division by division. And let me just say, unfortunately to all the women, none of them are money-making divisions. And that's just because women's MMA is... Pretty new, only a decade long. I mean, it's very hard with this whole feminist movement nowadays to convince women that beating each other up is okay. I mean, I love it because, I mean, Zhang Wei Li, Valentina Shevchenko, just some badass women, love them. However, not the biggest market for them. Same for the small guys, flyweight, bantamweight. It's hard to get these 125ers, 135ers making some money. 145 is pretty good. But I don't think Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, Arnold Allen, Brian Ortega, either Topira, are at a status where they're going to be generating a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Volk's probably the best fighter. I mean, he's the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC currently. So he is definitely the best fighter, but he's just not a money maker. Now, light heavyweight, I think there's just too many not huge names right now. Like, I mean, if you were to ask a casual, do you know Jamal Hill? No. Do you know Jerry Prochaska? No. Magomed? No. Alex Behera? Maybe. Jan Blachowicz? Maybe. Rakic? No. Nikki Krylov? No. Okay. Heavyweight? I will say everyone knows John Jones, but Pavlovich, Shogun, Tom Aspinall, they're all on the come up. They're all genuinely pretty new. So I think there was at a time heavyweight was the biggest moneymaker, but currently, right now, it's down to either lightweight, welterweight, or middleweight. And if we were to break those divisions down, obviously we have to take into effect Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor could fight at 155 or 170. If we throw him with 155, you got Islam Makachev. Conor McGregor, Charles Oliveira, I mean Justin Gaethje and Poirier just headline paper. You got Michael Chandler. So lightweight's up there. But I do think welterweight edges it out because they got Hamzat. They got Colby Covington, Usman. I mean, Edwards has become a star. Gilbert Burns. Shavkat Rachmanov is slowly making a name for himself. And then we bring in middleweight. But I do think, actually, welterweight edges out middleweight. Because, I mean, Adesanya is obviously bigger. But Duplessis is pretty new. Robert Whitaker is a staple, but he did just lose. So if I were to give you an official answer, I would say welterweight is the biggest moneymaker in the UFC right now. Moving on, outside of Justin Gaethje, who had the biggest win in MMA this past weekend. And I'm, this is going to be, I don't know if people are going to feel about this, but I'm going to go with Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis just 
kind of resurgence resurged people's support in him. I mean, here's a guy knocked out Curse Blades, fought Shogun for the interim belt, obviously lost in Houston, got finished, comes back, beats Chris Dawkins, but then gets knocked out by Tai Tuivasa. Then gets knocked out by Sergey Pavlovich. Then gets submitted by Sergey Spivak. And everyone wrote him off coming into this. I think I think all of us hardcore fans knew he could beat Marcos or Justin Lima. He beats him in 33 seconds. I think he had one of the biggest wins. And had Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier been a dud, everyone, I felt, will have been talking about Derek Lewis. So, nothing but respect to Derek Lewis. Very, very happy for him. Because he's a fan favorite. But, I mean, obviously Justin Gage. I mean, you could even argue Alex Behera moving into number three spot in the light heavy divisions. That might be a better pick, Alex Behera. That's a very good pick. Um, moving on to some MMA promotions no one may know about unless you follow uh, MMA in general. Following Bellator times Risen 2, what dream interpromotion fight do you want next? So, from different promotions. So, MMA is the sport. UFC is the league. UFC is not the actual fighting. So MMA is to UFC as football is to NFL, as basketball is to NBA, if that makes sense. So who from the UFC would I want to see fight someone else? I honestly don't really know. There is there is someone that's coming to mind. Uh, Was it? Uh, he is from Ukraine. He's in Bellator, I believe, or he is super good. He's like 27-0. and 0. I cannot recall his name. He literally left to go fight the war in Ukraine, came back, defended his belt, won, then went back. So I don't know. Uh, Uzman Nurmagomedov, he could come fight someone like Charles Oliveira. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, I see a lot of people saying Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison. I mean, Kayla Harrison did just lose. She's one of the best women in the PFL, but lost. She's not even in this year's season. Her whole hype was killed when she lost to Larissa Pacheco. And I don't really know. I don't really care for any interpromotion fights. I'm happy with I'm happy with the fights the UFC puts on, if I'm being honest. And our last question. Looking ahead, who has the edge in Corey Sanhagen times Rob Font? Not to spoil our uh, picks we're going to get to in a second for UFC Nashville, but I do feel Sanhagen has the edge from, he is the current favorite, minus 270 on Caesars Sportbook. And this is due to the fact that Rob Font takes a notorious amount of damage, especially in five-round fights, and his only wins since 2020 are against Marlon Marais and Cody Garbrandt and Adrian Yanez. Adrian Yanez, who just broke into the wanking, wanking, rankings with a win over Tony Kelly, who was unranked. He finished this young up-and-comer. And, I mean, do we even need to talk about Cody Garbrandt and Marlon Marais, how hard they've fallen off? Sanhagen, meanwhile, has picked up wins over Song Yedong, Marlon Vera. He's fought in Piotr Jan. He's, his only loss in recent time has been to Aljamain Sterling. And, I guess, Piotr Jan. But that was by, like... Oh, he also lost to TJ Dillashaw. He lost two split decisions. I thought he won. Or I thought, I guess the Pyrion fight was a split decision, but I actually thought Sanhagen won that. Controversial opinion from me. So yeah, we'll get, we'll dive more into that in a bit. So hold your hold your thoughts on Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font. But I do believe Corey Sanhagen has the edge 
and the striking takedowns. I just believe overall Corey Sanhagen is a much better fighter. But we actually have a special segment. Ranking. That was right. We are back with the ranking. And we are going to rank my personal top 10 TV shows. I haven't really been watching too many TV shows of late. But I have watched a lot in the past. I, I guess I do occasionally watch some. I recently finished Too Hot to Handle. Definitely not in my top 10 TV shows. But certainly a very entertaining, we'll say, show. Of just... I, I just don't... Too Hot to Handle, the whole premise just baffles me. That these people can't go a day without sex. And they're like, oh, I just have to break rules and spend money. And it's like, these are real people. And they truly think like this. So, we're actually going to talk about some good TV shows. I do have a lot of honorable mentions, actually. And I do have reasonings behind all of them. So, I will go over my honorable mentions for my list first. And then we'll dive into my actual top 10. So an honorable mention is Peaky Blinders. I watched the first season a long time ago and it kind of dragged. But I've heard it gets better after like season two like ends. Unfortunately, I'm, on, I'm not even, my family's not on the Netflix plan to watch Peaky Blinders. So I can't even watch it at the moment. But I do want to catch that because I've seen Oppenheimer. I want to see some more Cillian Murphy. Also a little Tom Hardy in there. So, Peaky Blinders is an honorable mention, but I have no doubt that it would be in my list, had I actually seen it all. My other honorable mention is Mind Hunter. It is from Netflix, if no one's seen it. Very good show. It's about um, how people, how these two FBI, one was a cop and one worked for the FBI, or maybe it was the CIA, I cannot recall. They basically started the term for serial killers, and... Caught some, investigated them. Such a good show. It only had two seasons, though. And I wanted to make sure that any show I picked had at least three seasons. So that's why Mindhunter is an honorable mention. Another honorable mention is Umbrella Academy. I thought it was... I've, I very much have enjoyed the last three seasons. However, I just know it's not top ten worthy. Because every season has gotten a bit worse, I'll say. I'll definitely say season one's been the best. Season 2 was good, not as good as Season 1. And Season 3 was decent, but not as good as the first two. Another another good Netflix show. I just hope if they do have a Season 4, it can rebound. Which I don't doubt it can. Another album mention is Gravity Falls. An amazing animated show from, uh, was it Disney XD? I think that's where I used to watch it on. And I love those episodes, man. And a big conspiracy guy myself. I love seeing just the goofiness of it. However, only two seasons. And I gave myself a... Limit to have at least three seasons. So, sadly, you know, Gravity Falls. Plus, it ended for no reason. It should not have ended that show. That show could have gone on for ten seasons. I kid you not. I love that show. Another album mention is Parks and Rec. I've seen so many great clips. I used to watch episodes back when I was little. Like, just when it's on TV. But I haven't seen it as of late. And I just know it would be on my top ten list. But it's an album mention just because I have not seen it recently or a lot of episodes in full. But Chris Pratt, hilarious. Amy Poehler, hilarious. Ron Swanson, I mean, oh my gosh. All the, the whole cast is just hilarious. And um, another honorable mention that's kind of the same, not really the same, but like Community. Community, I thought, is very good. I personally love Community. I think seasons one through three are some of the funniest I've ever seen. But after season four, which is also pretty good, it just drops off. Season five, I've got like a couple episodes and it just stopped. So I never actually finished Community, but Community, just like Parks and Rec, I haven't seen it in too long. 
And knowing that Community dropped off after season four, or at least the first few episodes were kind of dull, I just had no interest in it. That's why it's an honorable mention. My last honorable mention is Grimm. The show was on NBC. I actually own every episode on disc. I used to watch it with my parents all the time. Kind of lost me in the final season just because when you get older, it's hard to watch a single episode every single week at the same time. So I was kind of losing track, but I do know how it ended. I loved it, and I might have to go back and rewatch it, but it's not too mainstream, and I haven't seen it in a while, so that's why it is an honorable mention. But I still love that show. So those are my honorable mentions. So let's dive into the actual top ten list. And I, I would say I put a lot of thought into this, but I, that would be a lie. I did put je- thought into it, but just not like enough to where I've deeply analyzed. So this is, I don't want to call it a rough, it's between a rough draft and official. I'd compare it to my ranking of every single Marvel movie, where it's just kind of tough at times to decide, oh, how is this show below this? How is this below that? So take everything with a grain of salt, but also take it... Li- and then, okay, just accept my list as my top 10 TV show. So let's dive in. This may be recently bi- recency bias, but at number 10 is you. That's right, you the listener. No, The um, series on Netflix following Joe, the deranged killer, who is just maniacal. Finds a new woman every season. Stalks her, kills her, eats her. Not actually, but... I find it very fascinating. Every episode is leaving with a cliffhanger. It's somehow made its way through four seasons, and I want a fifth. The season four ending was just, my jaw was dropped. My jaw was dropped. I will not say any, no spoilers for any of these shows, but my jaw was dropped for this show. It was, wow. And I can recall watching season one, two, and three all back to back to back, and wow, I would just binge them. I would be up late binging them. R.I.P. to all the people he's killed, but he's like the, not even the anti-hero, he's the antagonist, but he's the main character, so you can't help but feel for him. So you, an excellent show, and I know some other cast members from other shows on this show, so that's pretty cool. And um, at my number nine spot, I have a very popular show, Modern Family, that is right, Modern Family, at the number nine spot. It could be higher, and I say the only reason it made it in over, say, Community is because I have seen some Modern Family episodes recently. Recently, I have not actually seen the entire series. I don't know how the show ends, but just the directors and the writers, the producers for the show, have the best jokes, the best one-liners, the best subtle jokes, the best running jokes. I love this show. And speaking of running jokes, it reminded me of a show that I was actually told to watch called Arrested Development. I've heard that is a top 10 show, so I'll have to check that out. But just Modern Family is hilarious. Obviously, my favorite character is Phil, maybe Jay. Lily is just not the best actress in the show, but she just says the funny stuff. Luke's hilarious. Cam is, oh my gosh, Cam is so funny. So Modern Family at the number nine spot. You can never go wrong with a Modern Family episode. Moving into a more more intense, intense show. The Boys. I love The Boys. Oh, man. The Boys is such a good show. Brand new superhero show. I mean, if you heard 
any Homelander quotes, that's from the boys. That he is just so menacing. I love Huey, and I mean, I saw, I saw Huey actually in Oppenheimer. He, that actor plays him. He's super talented. Starlight, the deep, and this the vulgarity and the limits this show pushes is absolutely insane. I mean, I saw the crazy stuff last season. Stuff I would never want my children, future children, to watch. Oh, it's rough. It is. It is very rough. The stuff they show, these kids. These kids, I, I'm hearing about the show from kids online, and I'm like, you should not be watching this. But it's so good. I mean, the opening scene for the series is mind-blowing. It literally shows a chick getting obliterated because this character, A-Train, who I would compare to the Flash, Super Speed, runs through her. And that's how you're introduced to the show. It is nuts. It is absolutely crazy. And I can't believe that it it, it was shown. To, to children. To, I, I don't know. It's not even about the children part. I'm just thinking about scenes in this show. If anyone's seen it, you know just how absurd it is the limits they push. But it's an amazing show. And that's why it hits the number eight spot for me. Upon recording this, I now have noticed that I actually have Mine Hunter at seven, but I had some scribbles around it. I thought it was on my honorable mentions list, but apparently I had it at seven. So unfortunately, I messed up there, so Mindhunter is not an honorable mention. It's actually my number seven film, so I guess I didn't have a two-season limit. I thought I did. I've embarrassed myself going through that whole spiel about that, but yes, I guess Mindhunter is my number seven show. I, I thought I don't know what I thought I had there in place, so Mindhunter, show about serial killers and how the FBI has stopped them, or learned about them, honestly. So yeah, I messed up there. Moving into number six is what the, I think it's the most popular show. Of all time. It, it may be I don't, at all times bold. Definitely in Netflix history. Number six, Stranger Things. I, you just can't help but love it. Last season was so good. I mean, every season has not disappointed. They've, they've gone four for four on seasons. It's gotten better every season. The characters. I mean, I love Eleven. I love Dustin. I, I, I love Will even. I love... Gosh, I can't even remember all the... What's his name? Hopper? Winona Ryder's character? I mean, such a good show. And just the world building has been crazy. And it's setting up for a huge season five. The final season. I don't know if it's coming out next year in 2025. But I'll be here for it. And the, the character design. The the subtle hints. The, the music. The action. It is all so good. It hits the number six spot, but could very well be top five. However, due to me having personal bias, we move into number five, where we have the show Entourage. I don't know if anyone remembers this show. It was on HBO a while ago. Follows four four friends. Do we call? It? I think one's a cousin. And they actually made a movie about this. It's basically about this movie star and his four friends all live with him it's about uh what's his what's his name vince vincent chase he's i forgot who he's played by but it basically follows him he has four of his friends with him it's so so funny and it's one of the most successful tv shows um i'm trying to remember um i know mark Wahlberg was actually one of like the executive producers on the show um ari gold um, is played by Jeremy Peven. He is the Vince's, uh, um, what's, what do you call it? An agent. So funny. 
You also have Eric Murphy, played by Kevin Connolly. Vince is played by Adrian Greener. Turtle, played by Jerry Ferrari. Ferrara, iconic. He's so funny. And, of course, Johnny Drama Case. Chase, played by Kevin Dillon. Love this show. I ran for eight seasons. I watched every single one. And I would go back and rewatch it. It was so good. And it, it truly, I feel, epitomizes what would happen if you had an A-list actor, someone like a Brad Pitt. Then you have, like, his brother, who's such a small-time actor. I mean, we're talking... We're talking unheard of actor. Then you have one friend who, what? Oh, okay. I'm remembering now. His best friend is his agent, but then he actually like signs with Ari Gold. And then Turtles just there is like the comedic relief friend. Entourage. Definitely top five for me. I loved Entourage. So funny. Um, But not as much as I love the number four show on my list. Cobra Kai. And I know I get hated for it. I'm a stand. I'm a stand for Cobra Kai. It is the first two two seasons are pretty good. I think the first two, without a doubt, are two of the best seasons of all time. I mean, I can Johnny him versus who's the main guy from the original Karate Kid? Not Miguel. Miguel's the prodigy. Robbie, that's Johnny's son. Oh my gosh, what's his name? I can't think I can't think of his name. We got we gotta look this up. Daniel LaRusso. There we go. I knew it. I knew I knew I knew it was on the tip of my tongue. Daniel LaRusso. Cobra Kai, just so iconic. It's obviously makes no sense like karate would be this popular, but it still makes for excellent TV, excellent comedy, excellent romance, excellent drama. I mean it, this show has everything. I recommend for everyone. Final season's coming up. It's about time they wrapped it up to an end. But uh, Crease is out of a uh, Crease is out for revenge. We'll just say that. And I'm interested to see how they end this show. It's definitely gone on too long. It is definitely gone without a doubt. It has gone on too long. But we shall see where it goes. All right, into my top three shows of all time. I believe all these shows should be in everyone's at least top five list. Minimum top 10. You should all recognize these shows as top 10 shows. Without a doubt, let's dive in. Number three, The Sopranos. Oh my goodness, I discovered the show this year. I love it. Tony Soprano is the man. I'm a Soprano fan. Put, put me in the family. Put me in the mafia. I'm, this this really threw me into a mob mode. I, what, I had some very intrusive, what are they called, intrusive buys? Just uh, quick buys. I bought all the Mafia games on Xbox. Actually, I only bought the first and second. I'd already played the third. I was reading books about the Mafia. I wanted to go to the Mafia Museum. I wanted to be in the mob. I love The Sopranos. I'm not even done with it. I'm on Season 5, Episode 8. I believe there's six seasons. There's like Season 6, like 26 episodes or something. It's something weird, I believe. I've heard it as, I actually know how it ends, kind of. I heard it has the worst ending in TV show history. So we'll see, but as of right now, it's been so good. Just, just excellent writing. This has been, The Sopranos is one of my favorite shows. I love it. What you talking about? How you doing? You know? With the, with the mafia accent. I'm very bad at it, but Sopranos, my number three. My number two show of all time is the office i the office is just perfect it is 
the perfect comedy show. And there's at times it's a serious show. There's some tear-jerking moments. But The Office is so well-written. Ran for nine seasons, nine amazing seasons. I don't think I've ever watched it all nine seasons straight. And there's probably some episodes I haven't seen. I always see clips and I'm like, I haven't seen that somehow. So I might have to go back and rewatch it at some point when I have an ungoshly amount of free time. But just Michael Scott, Dwight, Jim, Pam, Oscar. Um, gosh, every everyone, you know, I mean, just mind blank on it. Kevin, I mean, you've had so many Idris Elba's been in the show. Well, Farrell's been in the show. Uh, Andy, Andy, so iconic. I just, Office is one of the best shows. And you can watch it at any time, any episode out of place, and you'll enjoy it. And it, of course, has running gags. It has hints to past episodes. But I will never forget the first time I saw the episode where Dwight sets off a fire alarm. Then they perform CPR. And they're doing like, uh, 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 staying alive, staying alive. That was one of the, and he rips the face off the mannequin. That was one of the funniest moments of my life, watching that for the first time. True, truly, I was in tears laughing so hard. So funny. The Office, my number two show. It's it's hard to beat. It is hard to beat. But it's number two, which means this show has beaten it. And even though this show had the worst final season I've ever seen, it still takes the number one spot. I've read the books. I've watched the runoff shows. That's right. Game of Thrones. So amazing. The first First six, without a doubt, perfect episode. Episode Season seven obviously has its issues, but still very good. We don't even talk about season eight, but those first five or six seasons, so amazing. Definitely the first six. The book's just as good. I'm still waiting for Winds of Winter, George. I'm still waiting. Jon Snow. Daenerys Targaryen. Tyrion Lannister. I mean, Jaime Lannister. Cersei Lannister. Joffrey Lannister. Drogon. I... Uh, Gosh, the Kalasar. I can just go on and on about this show. We can do a whole Game of Thrones episode. I am a Game of Thrones fan. I have read their lore books. I mean, George R. R. Martin is a genius. A genius. He created a lineage for the Targaryen kings. It is absolutely crazy. He George R. R. Martin doesn't even live in this world, man. He lives in Westeros. Or Southeros. Or Essos, I mean. It is insane. He just created this whole world in his head. And it has become such a hit. And I love it. I love it. The first the first season, the ending with Ned, just oh, boils your bones. I mean, do we even talk about season two? The Battle of the Bastards. Season three, The Red Wedding. Season four, The Revenge. I mean... The Watchers on the Wall. I could go on on about this show. Game of Thrones, my number one show of all time, without a doubt. I love it. I love it. And the books are so good. I recommend for anyone who's like felt disappointed after watch finishing the show after season eight, go reread all five books after finishing Dance of the Dragons. You will be in the mood for Winds of Winter. And it, the it's pretty much the first book and first season go hand in hand. Season two and season three kind of fell into the second book, also into the third, fourth, and fifth, into the fifth book. Elements of the fourth and fifth book in seasons like four or five. Season six is pretty much where you lose it. 
but I won't lie, The Dance of the Dragons is a very good book. And I'm debating reading, was it Fire and Blood? Because I've seen House of the Dragon, and it's very good. I'm also waiting for season two for that. I believe with the writer's strike, unfortunately, that'll be pushed back. But it is a very, very good show. So to recap, our list, number 10 is You on Netflix. Number 9 is Modern Family. I think you can watch that on Hulu. Number 8 is The Boys on Amazon Prime. Number 7 is Mindhunter, sadly canceled um, on Netflix. Number 6, Stranger Things, Netflix. Number 5, Entourage on HBO. Number 4, Cobra Kai, which actually started on YouTube, and it was bought out by um, Netflix after the first season. Number three, The Sopranos on HBO. Number two, The Office. I believe you can watch that on Peacock. And number one, Game of Thrones on HBO or Max. I guess HBO doesn't exist anymore. It's called Max, which I actually get with my phone plan. Shout out AT&T. I'll plug, I'll plug my phone brand because they give me Max for free. So that's my top 10 TV shows. Is it perfect? No. Could I go into more detail on each one? Yes. Could I be more vague? Maybe. But we're all entitled to our opinions. And I, I want everyone to drop their top 10 lists in my DMs. Let me know what y'all think. And honestly, if anyone wants to be a guest on this show, I'll have you. I want to talk to people. I want to get to know people. MMA fans, movies fans, TV show fans. I'm here for it all. But this next segment is obviously for all my UFC fans. All right. It is a staple of the show, of the podcast, I should say. Not a show. I'm really struggling, guys and girls, to film myself i've been trying to figure out how to set my camera it looks kind of awkward i also take breaks so i'd have to do some editing which i'm just so busy with work and getting ready for school i still don't have time for that so i'm feeling that maybe once i'm back at college in my own apartment i can lock in get a little um studio set up actually got some ufc posters in the mail very happy to begin those we got um ninganu and dos santos which we got a poster for that which was actually the last uh UFC event in Minnesota. We also have Leon Edwards and Rafael Dos Santos, that fight poster, and Miokic and Dan- Daniel Cormier, their first fight. Those fight posters. So we're definitely going to be throwing those up in the apartment. Um, but yeah, we'll be working on that because I want to film myself and give you all a visual of who I am. But as I was saying, we were about to dive into our UFC Nashville picks. We have got quite the number of fights. It's been a very interesting card without a doubt. Some cancellations, some short notice. We officially have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 fights as of Thursday night. This episode will probably be going live on a Monday. So I will I will let you all know. Uh, not Monday. What am I saying? It's going live on Friday evening. So after the weigh-ins, we'll officially know who's on and who's off. But... All my picks will be official tonight. So without a doubt, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into UFC Nashville fight picks. All right, we are we are back. It is actually Friday night, so some uh, issues came up. I got I got busy. Unfortunately, I thought I was able to pause and come back to it Thursday night, but it is Friday night, so the weigh-ins are actually complete. So we can actually dive into the card right now, knowing everything that will happen as of Friday night. So, without a doubt, let's dive in. Kicking off the night, we will be in the flyweight division as we have Ode Osborne taking on Asu Almimabev. <laughs> Correct. Um, Ode has a three-inch reach and a notable eight inches in reach. I'm oh. 
three inches in height, eight inches in reach. So an ungoshly large reach. O'Day, of course, has been in the UFC since 2020. Coming off a win on the Contender Series is what got him a contract. He most recently fought Charles Johnson earlier this year in February, won a split decision. Has notable uh, minute knockout of Zaruk Adeshev. He's beaten Jerome Rivera with a 30-second knockout punch. He's also been finished by Brian Keller, Manel Cape, Tyson Nam. Ode gets a round. As for Asu, he is making his UFC debut. He is currently on a 13-fight win streak. The most notable person he's fought has been Tagir Ulembekov, who beat him in 2017. Tagir. Is Tagir currently ranked? Tagir is currently ranked number 13 in the men's flyweight division for the UFC. So, very happy that uh, he's able to partake in the UFC. So, good for Asub. And, I mean, he is 17-2 on a long win streak. But, I mean, Ode's got that 8-inch reach. So, I'm going to have to go with Ode Osborne. But, if Asu wins, I won't care because the prelim predictions don't matter. I believe the main card is official and live on the podcast, we will be writing down my picks officially for the main card. So, moving on to uh, another fight where we have a debut fighter. Sean Woodson gets his fourth opponent in Dennis Bazookja. I know he was supposed to fight Jesse Butler at some point. I, gosh, he was supposed to fight a number of people, but now he's end up with uh, Dennis Bazookja. And Dennis was the only fighter to miss weight. He weighed in at 146.5 pounds for the 145 pound featherweight fight 146 is the limit so he was 0.5 pounds over but he cut 24 pounds in three days so we're not knocking Dennis at all in fact we're probably going to rock with him he's currently on a seven fight win streak he actually won on the contender series in July of 2022 picked up a unanimous unanimous decision win over Calio Romero following that he went and partake partook in some other fights and other promotions, but now finds himself against Sean Woodson. Dennis, 25 years of age. He is he is five inches shorter than Woodson and is down an eight-inch reach. But, I mean, Woodson, he is currently on a three-fight unbeaten streak coming off a draw against Luis Saldana um, last year in August. For that, he had finished Colin Anglin in round one, beaten Yusuf Zalal. And he's currently three and one and with a and one actually with a draw. He is one loss to Julian Arosa in twenty twenty by Dar's Joke. But uh probably his most notable win, I'll say, is over Terrence McKinney on the contender series. Beat him with a flying knee. So yet again, that eight inch reach does draw some intrigue for me, so I will go with Sean Woodson, but I am rooting for our short short notice fighters. I always love the short notice guys that I find there's just something about them. Like you're taking this fight, a huge risk in the your UFC debut. And it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? Commemorable, is, is that, if that's the good word. Um, but yeah, let's move on to our final flyweight fight of the night. As we have Cody Durden taking on Jake Hadley, both 5'7". Jake Hadley does have a 3-inch reach. Both have a sub-10-minute fight time. Jake Hadley currently on a two-fight win streak. Both finishes, most notably coming off a performance of the night knockout punch against Malcolm Gordon. Knocked him out in a minute. I believe it was a body shot. I can't really recall. Hadley's only loss is to Alan Nascimento in 2022. He lost by unanimous decision. 
As for Durden, Cody Durden is currently on a three-fight win streak. Uh, the last finish was in 2022. He knocked out JP Buys. Only losses in the UFC are to Jimmy Flick and Mohamed Mokaev. And in his debut, he actually took Chris Gutierrez to a draw. Chris is currently ranked number, I believe, 15 in the men's bantamweight division. Look, Cody Durden is an absolute dog. He actually landed 11 takedowns his last fight. But I gotta go with Jake Hadley. Jake Hadley's just been such a dog. I remember him on the Contender Series. He had some weird backstage issues and almost didn't get a contract. But he's somehow in the UFC. I believe he wins here. Moving on to our next fight at Featherweight. This fight could very well be on the main card. Billy Quarantillo versus Damon Jackson. These two guys are just outside of the featherweight rankings. They have fought some very tough com competition, but here they are squaring off. Uh, Damon Jackson just has an inch in height and an inch in reach. Other than that, very similar. Uh, experience more to Damon Jackson. So Damon Jackson is coming off of a round two knockout loss to Dan Ige. Before that, he'd been on a four-fight win streak, including a performance most finish of Pat Sabatini. He also had beaten uh, Kamlu Kirk by Arm Triangle. Charles Rosa he's beaten. He's submitted Mursad Bektich. Some notable people he's lost to is Iatopura and this undefeated fighter from the PFL who had this flying knee knockout on him. It's used on every PFL highlight reel. That was in the PFL, but I cannot think of his name. I believe he was just taken out of the playoffs, but he was also... A little person. And Yancey Medeiros actually bulldog choked him in 2014. But that was long ago. Damon Jackson now 4-5-2 since 2020. So in his second stint, done pretty good. Danny Gay did humble him. He did knock him out cold. So there's that. And he is a tough competition. And Billy Quarantillo, who's 17-5, and been in the UFC since 2019, came off the Contender Series. He has gone 5-3 and three in the UFC. And is currently coming off a loss to Edson Barbosa. He got brutally knocked out in April. Edson caught him with a knee when he was shooting for a takedown, I believe. And, ooh, he put him to sleep. He has have a performance bonus against Alexander Hernandez, a fight of the night against Gabriel Benitez. But Billy, man, he's been on the edge of the rankings. He fought Shane Burgos, lost a oof, very high striking battle at UFC 268. That was a very good fight. Recommend watching that fight. UFC 268, Billy Quarantillo versus Shane Burgos. And, of course, most recently lost to Edson Barbosa. If I had to pick, I would go with Billy Quarantillo. I do believe he is almost there at top 15 ability. He just needs to work on a couple things in his camp, and I feel he will be able to elevate himself to that level. We got some good ones coming up for our final two prelims. Number one, we have Jeremy Wells taking on Carlston Harris in the welterweight division. Wow, this is very good. Jeremy Wells, 12-2. Carlston Harris, 18-5. Both have under seven-minute average fight time. Similar height, similar reach, both in their 30s. Jeremy Wells is currently on a, gosh, I don't know what his win streak is, but he is 4-0 in the UFC with three finishes. Uh, most recently coming off a split decision win against Matthew Semmelsberger, where he turned to his takedowns to win the fight for that. He had knocked out Court McGee in a minute and a half, submitted Blood Diamond. That's right, Blood Diamond is an actual UFC fighter. He, he submitted him in round one, 
and knocked out Walray Alves in round number two in his UFC debut. As for Carlson Harris, he is coming off a win over Jared Gooden. Unfortunately, he's been shown in almost every highlight reel. He's the guy Shafkar Rachmanov landed a spinning back kick on and finished. But uh, before that, he had finished Impa Khan Sangana, who's actually fighting on the PFL Friday, today, as I'm recording this. Christian Aguilera, he also submitted by Anaconda Choke in his UFC debut. So this is a very good battle between two guys who can strike, who can submit, but I'm going to lean Jeremy Wells. And I'll even throw in Jeremy Wells by knockout, just because I can. And then we get to our main prelim, our bantamweight fight, as Kyler Phillips takes on Rayoni Barcelos, these two guys. Two individuals who have just been on the outside of the top 15. The winner of this could maybe crack it in another fight or two. Five inches in reach is what I'm seeing for Kyler Phillips. That's his advantage. Other than that, very similar in every other stat. Rayoni Barcelos currently coming off a round one loss to Umar Nurmagomedov in, from January of this year. He got knocked out by a punch in four minutes and 40 seconds. But before that, had beaten Trevin Jones, and Rayoni has just been an absolute dog in the UFC. Debuted in 2018, went on a five-fight win streak before losing a fight of the night to Timur Velev. That's right, Timur, who's currently on, who actually just lost on the past episode of The Ultimate Fighter. He then lost to Victor Henry in Victor's debut, but now finds himself taking on Kyler Phillips. And there was a time Kyler Phillips was in the UFC rankings where he lost the fight of the night to Raleigh Paiva, a fight a lot of people thought he won. Besides that loss to Raleigh Paiva, he is 4-1 and one in the UFC. Did come from the Contender Series. We had a sub-one-minute TKO. Kyler has fought since February 2022 when he submitted Marcelo Rojo, but I do think he will return to his form and submit Rayoni Barcelos. That is my prediction. And those are your prelim picks. I will go over them again. I'm going with Ode Osborne over Asu. I'm going with Sean Woodson over Dennis, both because they have eight-inch reaches. I just find that insane. I believe Asu took this fight on short notice. I can neither confirm nor deny that. That's what I think. I believe that Jake Hadley will beat Cody Durden. I think the takedowns will play an advantage. I believe Billy, Billy Corntillo can outstrike Damon Jackson to a victory. Same goes for Jeremy Wells over Carlston Harris. And I believe Kyler Phillips will submit Rayoni Barcelos. Maybe with a maybe with a triangle choke or something like that. But let's get into our sixth fight main card. It is jam-packed live in Nashville, Tennessee. Very excited for this card. That do, let's dive in. Starting off with the lightweight division as Ignacio Lajahula Bahomedes takes on Ludwig Mr. Highlight Clyde. Wow. Ignacio Bahomedes has an 8-inch height advantage, only 3 inches in reach, but 6'3 against a 5'7. That is crazy. We'll start with Ludwig Klein. Ludwig is officially 19-4-1 in his mixed martial arts career. Is sitting at three and two with a draw in the UFC. He has notable finish of Shane Young with a head kick in his debut. Other than that's lost to Michael Chisano, lost to Nate Landwehr, picked up two decision wins, but did have a draw against Jai Herbert earlier this year in March. The opponent, Ignacio Bahomedes, three and one in the UFC, coming off the Contender Series, where he had just an excellent knockout of Edson Gomez spinning kick Whew. this kid's 14 and 4 his birthday is actually on August 27th he will turn 23 so he is only 
22 years of... Oh, wait. 26. He'll turn 26, I believe. My math is correct. So he's 25 years old. His only loss is a split decision to John McDessie in April of 2021. Other than that, he's finished Roosevelt Roberts by spinning back kick. He submitted Bahom uh, Rungzu, and he's beaten Trey Ogden most recently in April. So, of course, you know, I'm going to go with Ignacio Bahomides. I mean, the finishing ability, the versatility, it just shows how good he is, how talented he is. So, Bahomides is my official pick to start off the main card. And to spice it up, I will say my round one submission, just because that would be absolutely insane if he submitted him in round one. Because round one finishes always get the crowd going. So, that's my pick. All right. Moving on to light heavyweight. As we have Tanner Bozer against Alexa Kamur. Wow, I still can't believe Tanner Bozer is still in the UFC. He's been on a rough stretch. And Tanner, Alexa, similar height, similar reach. Six foot two for Tanner, six foot one Alexa. 75 inches in reach for Tanner and 74 for Alexa. Whew. Tanner, 20 and 10 in his mixed martial arts career. He's coming off of two losses most recently. Got brutally finished by Ian Kudalaba in two minutes in April. Um, before that, had lost a split decision to Rodrigo Nascimento. His only win since November 2020 is against Ovens St. Prue. He is, in on, he is on a one and four stretch. He does have finishes of Rafael Pezzoa, Felipe Linz, which are very good, but as of late, nothing good. Now, he has fought some absolute notable heavyweights. Cyril Ghani took to a decision. Andre Arlovsky to a decision. Ayer Latifi. But, you know, it's, light heavyweight did not go well for him against Ayan Kudalaba, which means I don't know how he's going to do against Alexa Kimyor. Alexa is 6-2, um, and two, so he's um, very much new to UFC. He came from the contender series where he beat Fabio Charant by flying knee in 2019. Debuted at UFC 246, beating Justin Lynette, but since then has lost to William Knight by decision and Nicole Nego Marano by split decision. Hasn't fought since June of 2021, so I don't know how that will play into how this fight goes, but I am going to go with Alexa Kimor by decision. I just... Tanner Bozer has not looked good his last fight out at light heavyweight. I don't know how this fight will go, but I think Alexa may have been working on some things as training camp. Maybe improved, and I'm going with Alexa by decision. That's my pick. For featherweight, we have a banger up next. Diego Lopez against Gavin Tucker. If you don't know who either of these guys are, both absolute D-A-W-G-S dogs. Diego, 21-6. and six. Gavin, 13-2. and two. Five inches in height for Diego Lopez and a notable six inches in reach for Diego Lopez. Gavin Tucker. 13-2 in his career, has two losses in the UFC to Ricky Glenn and to Dan Ige, who was the last man he fought. Dan Ige knocked him out cold in 22 seconds back in March of 2021. He hasn't fought in almost two and a half years. Um, he does have wins over Billy Corintillo, um, Sungwoo Choi, so he has beaten some good guys there, but he hasn't fought in a while, and coming off that knockout loss to Dan Ige, I don't know. He is a good grappler. But we'll see. He's taking on Diego Lopez, who had a fight of the night in May against Mozvar Evlov. How about debuting against Mozvar Evlov, who is undefeated, currently ranked number 10 at featherweight, will probably be getting a top five opponent next. And you take him to a decision. You almost submit him multiple times. At the end of the day, obviously, Mozvar was better because he is 
at that level of featherweight. But Diego showed so much improvement from uh, the Contender Series because he actually fought on Season 5 of the Contender Series against Joe Henderson Brito, of all people, in uh, 2021. But he's back looking for uh, looking for vengeance, and I don't think he'll stop on his quest to become a champion. Round 1 submission pick for me from Diego Lopez. I think Gavin Tucker either lands a takedown or gives up a takedown and gets submitted. That's who I'm rocking with. Diego Lopez, he took that fight against Molesford Evloff on short notice. He finally has a full training camp. I'm rocking with Diego Lopez, man. All right. And who knows? He might be ranked come the end of 2024. Speaking of ranked people, we move to the light heavyweight division where number 15, Dustin Jacoby, will take on number... Oh, I guess Kennedy and Chukwu was booted once since uh, Alex Bahara joined the division, but Kennedy was at 15 last time I checked. So Dustin Kennedy, six foot three for Dustin, six foot five for Kennedy, eighty-three inch reach for Kennedy, seventy-six inch reach for Dustin Jacoby. The reach doesn't lie; it is crucial. Whew. Kennedy and Chukwe, man. Here's a guy who was kind of unheard of, nicknamed the African Savage. You know, he had come into the Canada Series in 2017, won a split decision, didn't get a contract, invite him back the next season in season two. Gets around one f- kick finish. UFC debut, man. He gets the Magomed Ankalaev treatment getting submitted in round three by Paul Craig. Paul Craig, man, taking out all the guys. But then he bounced back in 2019 to 2021, beating Darko Stosic. His fight of the night against Carlos Ulberg. What a comeback that was. Then had a performance of the night against Daniel Marquez. And then Da Woon Jung finished him in 2021 in round one. I remember that fight. I actually picked Kenny, and I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Dawun Jung just kept throwing elbows and beat him. Loses a split decision to Nikolai Negomorano. Someone else lost a split decision. Who was that? Was that um, was that someone on the prelims? We we just brought that up, I swear. Was that Alexa Kumar? Alexa Kumar lost a split decision to uh, Nikolai. So I guess everyone is, but yes. Kennedy loses to him, but since 2022 in July, he has beaten Carl Roberson by finish. I include Laba in a fight night in November. That's right. They got the fight night after, oh gosh, someone was, I think it was Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivich was booted. Gets a performance bonus there. And earlier this year, submitted Devin Clark by guillotine in round number two. Kennedy, man, on a three-fight win streak, all finishes, looking to officially solidify himself in the top 15 at light heavyweight but a tough opponent in Dustin Jacoby. Dustin actually was in the UFC in 2011 and 2012, went 0-2 in that run, took eight years off of the UFC. He's actually fought, I think, Alex Pajera in kickboxing, I think it is. Or maybe it was Jerry. He's fought in someone in um, uh, kickboxing or maybe even just a different MMA promotion, but he came back in August of 2020 on the Contender Series, wowed everyone when he dominated Ty Flores. Find that, knocks out Justin Ledette, beaks Maxim Grishin, had a draw against Ian Kualaba, what a comeback that was. Went on a four-fight win streak, including a nasty finish of Dawoon Jung by a knockout in July of 2022. But then lost a split decision to Khalil Roundtree Jr., which I don't think that he should have. And then lost a split decision against Azmat Merzikana, where he just lost the first two rounds. And round three, just could not get the finish. Now he finds himself against Kennedy. And look, Dustin Jacoby is very good, but I am all on the Kennedy and Chukwe train. I'm hoping it rides to the top, arrives at the station, 
and he gets into the rankings. And I'm going with a round two knockout because Azamat was almost knocking him out, man, in their last fight. Oh my gosh, Mirzakhanov came so close, just couldn't get it done because Jacoby is a tough guy. Jacoby is very tough. And I mean, Azamat Mirzakhanov, keep your eyes out for that guy. He's like 13 and 0 or something. He is. He's on the come up. He actually has a fight against number nine ranked Volkan Ozdemir at some point. I don't know what card that's on, but it is coming up. My pick, Kenny, by round two, knockout. I'm rocking with you, Kenny. Go on a four-fight finish streak and get your number 15 spot in the division. And wow, we're already into our final two spots, our co-main and our main event. Very excited for both of these fights. Let's get into the co-main event where we have Jessica Andrade and Tatiana Suarez. Going to the women's pound-for-pound pound rankings, Jessica Andrade is currently number 8. Tatiana is number 15. In the women's strawweight rankings, Jessica is 5. Tatiana is number 10. And Jessica is actually 5 at flyweight, if that shows you how good she is. Which she is, very much so. Um, when it comes down to the tail of the tape, per se... Tatiana, 10-0, and 0, never lost in her mixed martial arts career. Jessica Andrade is 24-11, and 11, so quite the experience edge for Jessica Andrade. Tatiana has 4 inches in height. Jessica Andrade only 5'1", 4 inches as well in reach for Tatiana. Similar in uh, age as well. Tatiana, for, um, she is on a wow six-fight win streak in the UFC. So she was only 4-0 when she debuted in 2016. She has four finishes coming off one against Montana De La Rosa back in February. She won by round two guillotine. And that had been a four-year layoff for her. She had last fought Nina Nunes in 2019, a notable finish of Carla Esparza by um, uh, TKO in 2018. And she's also submitted Alexa Grasso. So if this doesn't tell you that Tatiana Suarez has made the current flyweight champion and the former strawweight champion, she is very, very talented. But she is tough opponent in front of her. She is a very tough opponent in Jessica Andrade. I mean, do we have to go through all of... We'll go through all of Jessica Andrade's um, resume just because we are kind. Debuted against Liz Karamuch in 2013. We're going on a three-fight win streak, including being Hockwell Pennington and current PFL women's featherweight champion Larissa Pacquiao. Finished her by guillotine choked. Would lose to Marine Renault. Go win-loss. Lose to Hockwell Pennington. Beat Jessica Penne, finish Joanne Wood, fight in the night against Angela Hill. Would fight Joanna Jan Jacek for the belts for the um, I believe that was was that straw I believe that was strawweight or flyweight at UFC 211 in 2017. Would have 225 significant strikes landed on her by Joanna. Find that she would go on a four-fight win streak, fight the night against Claudia Gadella, beating Tisha Torres, knocking out Carolina Kowalski. Oh my gosh, Carolina Kowalski. UFC 288, Jessica Andrade knocked her out cold. That's a good knockout. You should watch that. And do we need to talk about the UFC 237 main event where fight of the night and performance bonus to Andrade as she gets a slam finish in round two against Rose Namajunas. The eight under eight minutes that that fight goes on is so entertaining. I highly suggest you watch that. I believe I brought that up on the last episode when we were talking about how to get into the UFC. This is a woman's fight you're going to want to watch. Obviously, the last time the UFC was in China, she got finished by Zhang Wei Li, would then lose a split decision, fight the night against Rose Namajunas. Then she'd move up to flyweight, finish Caitlin Chukagian in round one. Of course, get dominated by Valentina, 
beat Cynthia Calvillo. She beat Amanda Lemos by standing arm triangle in 2022. This year, Ordi has had three fights. This is her fourth fight of the year. She landed 231 significant strikes against Lauren Murphy at UFC 283. Tried to do an under-a-month turnaround against Aaron Blanchfield. Didn't go so well. She obviously had better striking than Aaron, but the takedowns played a role, and she got submitted. And she then tried to turn around in May, and I just think she was ahead of herself as Jan Chayonen knocked her out in just over two minutes. So Jessica, she's been on a haul this year, but I do think is going to be her downfall. I got Tatiana Suarez by decision. And simply because I think that Jessica Andrade can avoid getting submitted by Tatiana, but at the same time, I feel like Tatiana can finish her. However, I'm going off a verdict, and I like the verdict XP, so I will be going with um, Tatiana by decision. I'm finally a black belt, okay? So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get all my stripes and become a red belt. No one's been a red belt yet. I want to be the first one. Obviously, that won't happen, but we'll see. Tatiana, take your place in the top 10 of women's pound for pound. Take your spot in the top 5 of women's strawweight when you beat Jessica Andrade tomorrow night. I'm calling it. Or tonight, if this episode gets uploaded on Saturday. We'll see. We shall see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, are we ready for the main event? It's a catch weight at 140, but obviously this has bantamweight implications. As we have number four, Corey Sanhagen, against number seven, Rob Font, in the men's bantamweight division. Rob Font taking this on somewhat short notice. It was supposed to be Corey versus Umar Nurmagomedov, but Umar pulled out. Rob Font is in. 16-4 and four record for Corey Sanhagen, 20-6 and six for Rob Font. Corey's got three inches in height. Rob Font has one inch in reach. Corey is five years younger. Rob Font, ladies and gentlemen, came into the UFC in 2014. Fought the likes of John Lineker. He's fought in Matt Schnell. He's fought in Pedro Munoz, Rafael Sunsau. And this was all before he went on his little four-fight win streak where he beat Sergio Pettis. Fight the night against Ricky Simone, finished Marlon Marais in his breakout fight essentially in round one, and then beat Cody Garbrandt in his first UFC main event. Following that, he would have back to back main events against Jose Aldo and Marlon Vera. The Marlon Vera one was a fight of the night where he brutally outstruck them, but got brutally destroyed and damaged. Like, he landed 271 significant strikes against Marlon Vera. Marlon Vera didn't bleed him at all. Didn't bleed at all. Marlon Vera landed three knockdowns, 159 significant strikes, and Rob Font looked like he'd been in a car crash. And Jose Aldo almost finished him in that fight in the final round in uh, 2021. But he bounced back this year in April, where he knocked out Adrian Yanez, surging contender in the women's bantamweight, the women's, the men's bantamweight division. Knocked him out in under three minutes. Got a performance bonus. Very nasty knockout from Rob Font. So the momentum has come back with this. And he's back to his main event ways. He is 1-2 in main events, but we'll see how he does in his fourth uh, his fourth one, yes. But standing across from him will be a dangerous man, the Sandman. It's Corey Sandhagen. Corey, been in the UFC since 2018. Came into the UFC on a 5-5 win streak. I mean, he beat Austin Amet. Uri Alcantara, Ooh, that was a crazy comeback. Mario Batista, who's got a fight against Cody Garbrandt coming up. John Lineker, Hafa Sunso. Of course, in 2020, he did get submitted by Aljamain Sterling in just uh, like a minute and a half. But mind you, 
That's his last time he was finished, was Aljamain Sterling, who is the current men's bantamweight champion. Very talented. And I may be leaning towards him to beat Sean O'Malley. We'll, we'll get back to that in August. Um, he then had a spinning spinning kick of Marlon Marais. Very nasty. Earned a performance bonus. UFC Fight Night. Overeem versus Volkov. Corey Sanhagen versus Frankie Edgar. The 28-second flying knee knockout is... You, it looks like Frankie Edgar died. It looks like he got shot in the head and just face-planted. Corey Sanhagen does a flying knee, catches him on the chin, goes past him, and Edgar just falls. So nasty. He then gets brutally robbed in July of 2021 in a fight night against TJ Dillashaw. That is one of the biggest robberies that is not talked about enough. He clearly beat TJ Dillashaw. I don't know how he won that fight. But Sanhagen got robbed. He would then fight Pure Jan, and I actually scored the fight for Sanhagen. And upon going back, multiple judges and people had it 49-40. Everyone had it 49-46 for Piotr Jan. Look, Corey Sanhagen, I, I, thought, I thought he won that fight. I thought the only route he didn't win was when Jan dropped him. But that's just that's a controversial opinion I have. But, you know... Where he's gone and where Pierre Jan's gone, very opposite ways. But uh, in September he would um, of 2022, he would beat Song Ye Dong by a TKO, Dr. Stoppage. And then earlier this year in March, he beat Marlon Vera by split decision, which should have been a unanimous decision. So all credit to Sanhagen. On a two-fight win streak, Rob's on a one-fight win streak. You already know we're picking Sanhagen. Look, Sanhagen, I feel, is truly, truly the number three best in the world. Maybe even two. I honestly think he beats Sean O'Malley. I think he beats Henry Cejudo. I think the two people he doesn't beat are Marab and Aljamain due to the takedowns. I think he beats... Because I thought Umar would have beat him due to takedowns. But Rob Font's coming to strike, and Corey will ace you up in striking. And unlike the Aldo, unlike the Vera fights, I'm actually going to go with Corey Sanhagen by round five knockout. I think he's going to do enough damage to verify a stoppage in round number five. Maybe even doctor stoppage if I'm feeling spicy. But I just feel Sanhagen is better than Rob Font. So that is my official prediction. Round five knockout from Corey Sanhagen. We'll make sure to post that on TikTok. I always post my main event predictions on TikTok. If you want to follow me there, ZTR2002, I believe. But yeah, Sanhagen, so talented. The spinning kicks, the kicks in general. And I mean, against Vera, he was showing the takedown game. Very excellent stuff. Very jam-packed card. But I'm rocking with Sanhagen, man. What could be next for him? He'll be on a three-fight win streak if he wins. He could call it Marab. Without a doubt, he could call it Marab. He could call it Henry Cejudo. I mean, we'll see what's next. Uh, the winner of Sean Malley and Aljamain Sterling will determine a lot about the men's bantamweight division. But we shall see. We shall see. We also just had the announcement that Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez are fighting. Um, Pedro Munoz is taking out Marlon Vera. Does Song Ye Dong have a fight? I don't think so. Have Song Ye Dong fight Piotr Jan. Bantamweight, one of the deepest divisions in the UFC. I mean, on every card you can find bantamweight bangers. I mean, let's talk about our headlining prelim. Kyler Phillips, Brioni Barcelos. Two absolute amazing unranked bantamweights. But... Corey Sanhagen in the spotlight. I am rocking with you. So let's go back over our main card predictions. These are all official. If they aren't official, 
then that's sad. We'll just have to pick from the prelims. We got Ignacio Bahomedes over Ludwig Klein by round one submission. We've got Tanner Bozer. Uh, we've got Alexa Kummer beating Tanner Bozer by decision. We've got Diego Lopez over Gavin Tucker by round one submission. Kenny and Chukwo over Dustin Jacoby by round two knockout. Tatiana Suarez over Jessica Andrade by decision. And Corey Sanhagen over Rob Font by round five knockout. So yeah, Ignacio, Alexa, Diego, Kennedy, Tatiana, and Corey. All right. Now everyone knows who I'm picking. I can't go back on any of it. I'm very looking forward to this. The live cards are always so much better. Just, I'll go on the record and just say, without a doubt, they're better. Salt Lake City, for example. I mean, London, London crowd is kind of weak. I mean, think about Holm and Bueno Silva. Think about Strickland Magomedov. Think about Vittori Kanir. Not having crowds really hurts those events. But lucky for us, we will be um, having a number of live events. Sadly, the August 12th event will be at the Apex. I mean, UFC 292s in Boston. Holloway and Zombies in Singapore. Gone and Speedbucks in France. 293s in Australia. And then Grasso Shevchenko is in the the um, T-Mobile Arena, I believe. And then Matus Gamrat and Hafel Fazeev, which was uh, just made official by the UFC, have to fight at the Apex. It's just ridiculous, sadly. That fight deserves a venue. Speaking of UFC 293, that, that really does not have a main event yet, does it? What what official fights are even listed? They got, they got Kaikara France and Manel Cape. That could be a main card fight. Carlos Uberg versus Dawun Jung. You could put that on the main card. You've got Taiji Vasa, Alexander Volkov. Maybe Viviana Rujo and Casey O'Neill. And then I guess... I'm assuming, whoever Asang is fighting, I believe the only issue with Sean Strickland is visa issues. But I cannot confirm nor deny that. So We shall see, but we are all focused in Nashville for this weekend and for the PFL tonight. So hopefully those fights are good. I'm going to have to check those out. I will be a bit busy, but we always make time for MMA. We love MMA. And that's what we're all about, man. That's your j daily jab of UFC. As always, surprising other, surprising other topics. Let me... Let me know what you guys want me to talk about, okay? I'm working on a number of things. Uh, we may be having a guest for the next episode, so stay tuned for that. As always, let me know any conspiracy theories you want to go over. I was thinking about doing, like, every episode we briefly touch on uh, conspiracy from the conspiracy theory iceberg, which we'll talk about. I kind of want to do stuff about processed foods. And, as always, we were working on switching from Buzzsprout to RSS. But it was pretty cool because Buzzsprout tweeted at me, so that was one of my highlights yesterday, so... That's going to be where we end it today. I hope everyone has a blessed day. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And as always, I hope you were surprised. All right, everyone have an amazing evening. Evening. I will see you later.